0: Don't go out there. The Doctor's hand was on the inside of the TARDIS door, about to yank it open. Both he and Amy stared at me. Rory, what's wrong? Amy took a few steps back towards the central console. My eyes flicked up to the monitor screen and the dim view of the caves the TARDIS had landed in. Uh, You remember those rodent aliens we met on that space station above the Amazon? The The ones that tried to turn the Doctor into a monster, Amy asked. The Nadirny, said the Doctor calmly hands still on the door. Yeah, well, there's one standing right outside the TARDIS. With a gun. The doctor pondered this for a nanosecond, then eased the door ajar. He peeked through the gap and smiled. Stay here, he said, and slipped outside. Doctor! I shouted. Did I not mention the gun? On the monitor, I saw the doctor approach the Naderni with his arms raised. He was saying something. But the alien shrank away, raising the weapon. He's being reckless, I said. Amy clenched her fists. Typical. She let out a frustrated growl, then dashed after the Doctor. Amy, wait! On the monitor, she entered the frame. The Doctor was still talking, maybe trying to calm the situation. But the Nadirni swung its weapon at Amy. They were both in danger. I ran and burst out of the TARDIS. My sudden appearance, so soon after the Doctor and Amy's, must have shocked the Naderni. It pointed the gun at me and fired. I shut my eyes, expecting searing pain. Instead, I felt a sharp smack on my arm. Amy had just slapped me. I'd know that slap anywhere. ''It's scanning equipment, not a gun,'' she said in a sing-song voice. ''Rory here is another friend.'' "'Explained the doctor. "'The last one, just the three of us, all unarmed.' "'The doctor turned to me. "'This is Drisk. "'He's a biogeologist.' "'Drisk was about four feet tall "'and resembled a man-rat, alert and twitchy. "'Like the Naderni we'd met before, he was deformed. "'There was a large hunch behind his right shoulder, "'and his rodent ears were shriveled "'as if collapsing in on themselves.' The result of genetic manipulation gone wrong. He was dressed in a dusty overall, a cross between a spacesuit and mining gear. Short brown, wiry fur covered his head and neck, leaving his face bare. There, his most disconcerting features blinked at me six beady black eyes instead of two. Another human, stated Drisc. Two humans and s- something else he scrutinized the doctor oh don't worry about me the doctor said I'm the last of my kind nothing special what, what, what are you doing here asked risk thought we were visiting the lost caves of mook said the doctor I didn't realize they'd been found he looked disappointed Uh, uh, "'This is not mook, and uh, and these are not caves,' said Drisk, "'taking a lamp from his belt and shining it against the wall. "'What had looked like a cave on the TARDIS scanner "'was in fact a half-collapsed tunnel "'with a metal infrastructure poking through crumbling concrete.' Uh, "'You're on Nadernis,' he added. "'My home world, and it's under quarantine.' Doctor Who, Sleepers in the Dust, by Darren Jones, read by Arthur Darville. Drisk told us, The Professor would explain, and led us out of the crumbling tunnels into murky daylight. It was warm, humid and desolate, grey and indigo clouds jostled overhead, almost obscuring the red-tinged sun that clung to the horizon. Mangled stumps of buildings stretched in all directions. It must have been a massive city once. Now it was lifeless, just rock, ruin and dust. ''What happened here?'' I asked. "'Remember the Naderni were at war,' said the Doctor. "'It looks like they lost, and a long time ago.' "'Drisk glanced back suspiciously "'and whispered into a communicator attached to his lapel. "'I couldn't make out what he said, but the tone was distrustful. "'This place is dead,' said Amy. "'How could they have survived here?' "'They didn't,' said the Doctor. "'Look, up ahead.' the urban debris around us became more thinly scattered, and we entered what could once have been a central square. Sitting there was a spaceship, squat and functional, floodlights cutting through the gloom, a ramp unfurled from its underbelly. Three more Nadirni worked around the ship, and a little distance away stood a large, opaque plastic tent. The Doctor's face lit up. A Federation Explorer. I haven't seen one of these for ages. 39th century discovery vehicle. All sorts of toys on board. Excited, he broke into a jog. Come here, you beautiful box of delights. The Naderni recoiled at seeing the Doctor bounce towards them, and cries of startled panic rang out. Somebody emerged from the Explorer, sprinting down the ramp. It was a human, a blonde woman, her hair tied back. And she definitely did have a gun. Stay there, she ordered, aiming the hand weapon at the Doctor. He raised his hands, and Amy and I ran towards him, leaving Dress behind. The woman swung the gun in our direction. Don't move. Who the hell are you people? I'm the Doctor. This is Amy and Rory. The doctor glanced over to the opaque tent. Whatever's wrong, I can help. The tent stood apart from the Explorer, as if in isolation. Was there something inside being kept away from the ship? Hobbling down the ramp came another Naderni. Celeste, stop. We're not the military. Let's establish the facts before you hurt somebody. She was much older than her colleagues. A wide, grey streak of fur snaked down the back of her head, and although the six black eyes sagged on her face, they still shone with life. ''People suddenly keel over, and then this lot show up,'' said Celeste, without lowering her gun. ''I'd say that was cause for concern, Professor.'' ''Look, we we, we just landed,'' said Amy, ''but got the wrong planet.'' "'Happens to us a lot,' I added. "'Back seat drivers,' muttered the doctor. "'Behind us, Drisk stumbled forward and addressed his fellow Naderni. Uh, uh, P- "'Professor Zanella, uh, uh, they... "'But he was gasping for breath, and suddenly his legs buckled and he collapsed. "'I started to move towards him. "'Stay where you are,' barked Celeste. I- "'I'm a nurse,' I said. "'Let me take a look, please.' I continued over to Drisk, hoping she wouldn't shoot me. The Doctor came to my side, probing with the sonic screwdriver. ''Same as the others,'' said Celeste. The Doctor examined the readings. ''Some sort of infection. Please tell me you brought it with you.'' ''No,'' replied Zanila. ''So, not a dead planet after all?'' ''It's a completely dead planet.'' Insisted celeste, if this is an unknown infection, then why aren't you all wearing contamination suits? Zanila scowled at Celeste, waiting for her to answer the doctor. We haven't got any, Celeste finally admitted. they weren't thought necessary. Federation catbacks, added Zanila, not hiding her contempt. ''There's an austerity drive,'' said Celeste, trying to justify the fact. ''Blame it on the Thorus Beta bailout.'' Ignoring the galactic politics, I gestured towards the opaque tent. ''I'm guessing that's a medical ward.'' we be would better get Drisk in there,'' said the Doctor. Zanila and Celeste stared at him. ''I'm the Doctor,'' he added. ''I've lent the Federation a helping hand before. ''Check your files.'' P for Peladon. Zanila regarded him for a moment, then nodded and turned to Celeste. Send an update to Paradise One. Celeste was appalled. You're not going to trust them, are you? The old Naderni flashed us a smile of yellow rodent teeth. Yes, for now. Check out his story and stop waving that gun around. It makes me nervous. Inside the tent, Drisk was placed on a semi ovoid bed. Zanila operated a control unit at its foot, and the sides closed around him, forming a perfect egg like pod, sealing him inside. The control unit displayed his life signs, and although I was unfamiliar with Naderni physiology, I guessed they were weak. There were three other Naderni in similar pods, their eyes sunken, their features stretched and pallid. They were suffering from extreme dehydration, even though automated tubes administered fluids. It's like they're drying out, said Amy. Zanila walked along the line of pods to the very last and touched the controls. The occupants stirred. He was incredibly weak His body shriveled Strands of fur had molted around him onto the bed Thrix How are you? She asked Dreaming of you He whispered weakly Any luck with The analysis? Zanila shook her head Thrix sighed oh, Didn't think so At least I set foot on home soil. Don't talk that way, my love. Rest, said Zanila. Thrix closed his six eyes and drifted back into unconsciousness. Zanila turned to the doctor. Thrix is my best biologist. He was the first to be infected. One moment he was taking soil samples, the next he was on the ground. Curled up as if he was sleeping in the dust. How many days has he been like this? Asked the doctor. Days? We <laughs> touched down four hours ago. She replied. Thrix collapsed two hours later. It's acting like bacteria, but no antibiotic has any effect. And it's only infected Naderni, not humans. Uh, how many of you? Eight Naderni plus Celeste and the pilot Kirkman, observers from the Federation's Paradise Program. This planet's not much of a paradise, <laughs> I said. Zanila scowled. The Paradise Program facilitates the return of displaced species to their home planets, she explained. Uh, after the war, uh, Nadirnis was lost for two millennia. It was rediscovered three years ago the victorious uh, Procarians, uh, whoever they were, had abandoned it. The Federation made an initial study with robot probes. Uh, This survey team, she gestured to all around her, is supposed to be the first step towards recolonization. That explorer out there is short-range, said the Doctor. Presumably Paradise One is your mothership in orbit. Yes, yes. But unless we ID this infection, we'll be quarantined permanently. Zanila escorted us on board the Explorer. Up the ramp and beyond an airlock was a large bay, taking up most of the ship's interior. The doctor danced with delight until he realised the bay was only half full of equipment, including a one-person drilling machine and some weird-looking probes. More cutbacks? asked the doctor. Zanila nodded. A bank of workstations lined the full length of one side, with a long, single display screen relaying multiple streams of data. Celeste was there, arguing with another human, presumably Kirkman, the pilot. He was a big guy, about fifty, and grizzled. You're out of your depth, Celeste, he accused. This mission's a disaster. It's Zanila's call, she replied. But this is a Federation ship, and that old vermin's putting it at risk, not to mention my life. Only my people have been infected, said Zanilla, making them jump. Please stop griping and work with me, Kirkman. Kirkman eyeballed us. (laughs) Is that them? Obviously, said Celeste. Bunch of weirdos. Only on your watch, Celeste, you're a jinx. She blushed. Kirkman headed towards an exit at the bow. If you need me, and I hope you don't, I'll be on the flight deck. Charming. Not, said Amy after the pilot had gone. "Uh, You okay? I asked Celeste. "Uh, What was that about? Nothing, she snapped. Kirkman's a superstitious idiot. The doctor studied the long screen, scrolling through reams of virtual data until the feed suddenly stopped. That's all you have? That's it, confirms Zanila. But that's almost nothing. No trace of life anywhere on the planet. And the only thing you actually know about this disease is that it acts like bacteria. I think I'd prefer nothing. It can usually work with nothing, but you've got nothing and something. Doctor, you're wittering, said Amy. Uh, "'Sorry,' he said. "'The infection's caused by an unknown bacteria "'which doesn't seem to exist outside the infected host. "'Still, for all the Federation's impressive toys... "'He tossed the sonic screwdriver in the air and caught it. "'Mine are better.' "'And he headed back out to the planet's surface. "'The Doctor led us through the ruins away from the Explorer. "'Setting and resetting the sonic screwdriver, "'he whirred it back and forth, hunting for any clue.' ''Can't we take them away in the TARDIS?'' asked Amy. Uh, ''Plenty of super-space hospitals out there.'' ''Oh, too risky,'' said the doctor. ''Whatever's infected them, it's likely the whole survey team's been exposed. Quarantine's the best option. They can't leave.'' ''And I guess that we can't either,'' I said. ''What?'' said Amy. ''Oh, come on! We only just got here!'' ''Rory's right. We've probably been exposed too. Can't leave now, not until I work it out.'' The doctor gave a final flourish of the sonic and studied the readings. ''Nothing! How can bacteria stay hidden? Everything's dead! The ground, the air, there's nothing here!'' ''Maybe it's ghost bacteria,'' suggested Amy. ''Ghost bacteria?'' said the doctor with a raised brow. ''Ghost bacteria! Ghost bacteria! Amy Pond, that!'' He tucked the sonic into his jacket. Is a silly idea. Amy shrugged, just thinking outside the box. I stood a little way from them, in front of what might once have been a wide flight of steps, but was now just crumbling rock. Among the debris, something caught my eye. Sticking out of the ground, uh, something metallic but corroded and twisted, marked with engravings. I knelt down and blew away the thick layer of dust as Amy crouched beside me. She coughed and wafted her hand in front of her face. (laughs) Thanks. Sorry, I said, but but, but look at this, some sort of plaque. I squinted at the half-eroded alien lettering, waiting for the TARDIS translation circuits to kick in. Slowly, it became readable. The High Directorate of Science. A science institute? Asked Amy. I called the doctor over. Could this be anything? The Doctor wasn't convinced. The Naderni built their empire on scientific achievements, but if there's anything here, it was buried 2,000 years ago. Doctor! It was Celeste, running towards us, agitated. Come quickly! It's Thrix! Back in the medical tent, I noticed there was now a fifth Naderni sealed in a pod. The Professor and the remaining two assistants were attending to Thrix. Zanila was panicked fingers darting across the control unit. What happened? asked the doctor. We're losing him, she said. Amy recoiled at the sight of Thrix within his pod. Rory, look! I already had. It was horrible. A wheezing sound rasped deep from within the rodent's throat, but he looked like a corpse, a dried-up husk. His skin stretched and cracked as he squirmed, trying to move, but he seemed half-paralysed. Then I realized the readings on the biomonitor had flatlined. Thrix wasn't breathing at all, yet his body kept moving, shaking as if trying to lift itself up. Zanila stood over the pod, her hands on the shell, staring in shock at her beloved friend. The doctor placed a hand on her shoulder and tried to ease her away. "Professor, it's too late. You need to get back. I can't." He said, I, I must do something. The doctor kept his grip and slowly pulled Zanila away as violent spasms gripped Thrix's body and slammed it against the sides of the pod. I stared in disbelief. The doctor, he's dead, so how can he be moving? Then the first split appeared in Thrix's chest. As it cracked open, the desiccated skin flaked away like fish food. Fractures started to spread across his head down his arms and legs until he was finally still. The skin around these new wounds continued to disintegrate, as if he was being unwrapped from the inside out. There was something within the cracks, grey and seething. Then, as I squinted to see better, Thrix sat bolt upright. Except, in that confused moment, I only thought it was Thrix. His crumbling remains were still on the bed. Some thing had burst out of his mummified body, as if from a paper shroud, and it now regarded us with hidden eyes. It was vaguely humanoid, but amorphous, with flesh that bubbled and shifted as if trying to hold together. The creature pulled its legs free of Thrix's corpse, and now there was nothing left of the Naderni except dried, shredded skin and fur. As I watched in stunned horror, this newborn monstrosity continued to swell in mass. It pressed its shapeless face against the shell and seemed to sense Sanila, almost blindly sniffing her out. Then an arm swung forward in a dislocated arc and smacked against the pod, again and again, harder and harder. The dirty, it hissed. The dirty must die. It knows what I am. "'said Zanila. "'Yes, of course,' said the Doctor. "'And there are more on the way.' "'Other Nidurni, including Drisk, "'were convulsing within their pods, their wizened skins tearing open. "'Celeste pointed a laser at Thrix's still-growing creature. "'The Doctor grabbed her arm. "'Not a good idea. You'll only let it out.' "'Under the vicious pounding, "'a fracture streaked across the pod's shell. "'It's not going to hold anyway,' I said. "'Out!' The Doctor bundled us all towards the exit. Get to the Explorer! (laughs) But but what are they? Pleaded Zanila. They're your mortal enemies, said the Doctor. They're Prokarians. We bolted from the tent and raced to the ship. Get inside, shouted the Doctor, helping Zanila towards the craft. I heard a shattering sound and looked back. The Precarian ripped through the tent, scrambling after a terrified Naderni who froze with fear. I yelled at him to move, but the Precarian lunged and knocked him to the ground. It reared back its head and spewed a wet globular cloud into the Naderni's screaming face. Leaving its victim to choke and writhe in the dust, the Precarian launched at another fleeing Naderni, pouncing on her back. There was a second crash, and another of the creatures stumbled from the tent, crawling on long, bendy limbs, its head twisted from side to side until its featureless gaze fixed on me. Picking up speed, it rose up onto its hind legs and lumbered forward with an impossible stride. It was coming for me. I focused on the safety of the explorer, but pain slammed into my foot as I caught the edge of the ramp and fell crashing hard, my shoulder impacting on cold metal. Pain blinded me for a second. I heard Amy scream my name, and in that short moment the Pekarian loomed over me. The air fizzed, and a crackle of scarlet energy struck it in the chest, burning a hole straight through. The creature fell back and hissed, but more from surprise than pain. I felt hands grab my arms and saw the upside-down faces of Amy and the Doctor as they dragged me up the ramp. Celeste was there, the gun in one hand, the other punching the door control. The Precariat advanced again, but the ramp was rising shut. Before it disappeared from view, I saw that the wound from Celeste's laser was already healing over. The doctor pulled me to my feet, and Amy hugged me close. "You okay?" she said. I rubbed my shoulder. "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Clumsy, but fine." Kirkman ran into the airlock. "What the hell's going on?" Zanila and Celeste were too shocked to answer. They were all that was left of the survey team. The others were either dead. Were "'trapped outside at the mercy of the precarians. "'It seems that the conquerors of my planet "'never abandoned it after all,' said Zanila. "'A sudden pounding on the hull sent a shiver down my spine. "'Can they get through?' I asked. "'Nothing can rip that open,' said Kirkman, "'but he stepped back from the closed ramp anyway. "'They won't have to.' said the doctor. They'll bypass the seal, wiggle their way around it, and force their way in. It's a vacuum seal, said Kirkman. What could possibly get through that? Bacteria, said the doctor. That's what they are. Giant colonies of sentient bacteria. Quite an evolutionary feat. They'll get through the seal. I felt Amy's arms around me go limp. Her face was white. And she had a distant look in her eyes. Amy, what's wrong? Feeling woozy, she managed to say before her legs gave way and she dropped. I caught her before she hit the floor and gently laid her down. Instantly, the doctor was beside me, scanning with the sonic. When he finished, he stared at Amy for an age. I'm sorry, Rory, he said finally. She's infected. His words felt like physical punches to my head, and my mind reeled. Celeste and Kirkman both retreated. So, it's not just Naderni," said Celeste. No, said the Doctor. It's any species. Do something, Doctor, I mumbled, but he did not answer. He stood up and paced, rubbing the back of his neck. Doctor, you have to do something. We need to get her out of here. None of us is going anywhere. "'said Celeste. "'Kirkman grimaced. Oh, "'I said you were a jinx. Uh, "'Bickering won't help,' the doctor snapped. "'Behind us, Zanila gasped and pointed at the closed hatch. "'Around the edges of the seal, "'small patches of grey goo were bubbling up. "'You're right, doctor,' she said. Uh, "'They're pushing through, cell by cell.' "'Celeste adjusted the laser settings "'and fired a narrow beam at each patch.' The goo burned and retreated, but reappeared within seconds. They're going to get in, she said. Doctor, I insisted, what about Amy? We left Celeste in the airlock, attempting to hold back the Precarians' entry. I carried Amy into the main bay, where Zanila operated a control and a bench slid out from the wall. I lay Amy on it. She was delirious, as if in the throes of a terrible nightmare. Like a whirlwind, the doctor moved between Amy and the info display screen, shouting at Zanila for ominous-sounding items. Neurospray! Subdermal amalgam! Reflex clamp! Zanila brought him instrument after instrument. Kirkman kept his distance, pacing back and forth. Damn Federation liberals. He spat and slammed a spanner against the control panel. Wasting resources on near-extinct species... Now we all suffer. Kirkman, you'd be more help using that spanner for its intended purpose, said the Doctor. Don't tell me what to do on my ship. Kirkman slammed the tool against the controls again, this time causing them to spark. That's enough, I yelled, confronting the towering pilot. You're scared. We all are. We're all dead, thanks to that, he pointed at Zanila. We're only dead if those creatures get in, I said. What's on board that can hold them off? Mm. There's only one gun, and little Celeste has her hands on that. There must be something else. Uh, Something you can rig up from all this stuff. A flamethrower, a a cattle prod, anything. Kirkman stared at me defiantly. But with Amy's life in the balance, I wasn't going to be the one to back down. Think, Kirkman, think. A fuel cell, maybe, he said at last. The discharge might take them down, but the ship will be stranded. Well, we're not going anywhere unless we stop them. Do it. For yourself, at least. Fine, he said, and marched towards the flight deck. I took a deep breath and turned back to where Amy lay. The doctor had stopped working on her. He looked at me with a grave expression. I can't do anything for her, Rory. I grabbed him and forced him to look me in the eye. It's Amy! He could only shake his head. I leaned over and touched Amy's beautiful face. Her cheek felt dry. I was losing her. There must be a way, Doctor, I said. The Doctor steered me out of Zanila's earshot while she self-consciously cleared away the discarded instruments. Don't you think I want to save her just as much as you do? He said. Well, we could travel back in time, stop their war before it begins. The Doctor glanced at Zanila, who was tending to Amy. The Naderni had to lose that war in order to become a better species. Otherwise they would have spread across the galaxy and dictated for millennia, maybe causing trillions of deaths. Time can be rewritten, I reminded him. There's a cost, Rory. The doctor held back his anger. Instability. Scars in time. Never quite healing. Too much instability and everything might collapse. I can't keep playing Jenga with the universe. Not even for Amy. You won't even try, I begged. For, for the girl who waited, for, for the man who waited longer, are you really going to watch her die like this? Because I can't. The doctor turned away, hands clasping his head, torn between what he saw as two evils. No, Rory. I can't either. He was thinking, and when he eventually snapped around with a light in his eyes, my heart leapt. I'm not keen on empires but I visited a few and picked up some pointers. One Empire's knowledge is another's trivial pursuit. Junior edition. Never challenge me to a game. Now, I can't change the past, Rory, but maybe the cure lies in the past. I need to get to the TARDIS. You stay here and look after Amy. I I can't do anything for her here, I insisted. I'm going with you to make sure you come back. No argument. The doctor smiled, knowing my decision was final. Very well, Rory the Roman. Let's go and save Amy. Kirkman staggered into the airlock. Slung over his shoulder was a bulky cylindrical fuel cell strapped to one of the geoscanners. Even with his brawn, I can see it weighed him down. The discharge should be enough to flatten an army, he said. If not... It'll take time to recharge for a second go. Celeste raised the laser. I'll cover you as best I can, but this power pack won't last long either. Hold them off for as long as possible, said the Doctor. We'll be back before you know it. Can you do that? Celeste nodded and Kirkman poised himself. Before you know it, repeated the Doctor, and turned to me. Ready? I nodded, stealing myself as the Doctor hit the door release. The ramp dropped, smashing down onto two But Five more blocked our path. Kirkman slammed the back of the fuel cell and an arc of energy spat forth, frying the Precarians where they stood. ''Go!'' yelled the Doctor, throwing himself down the ramp and pulling me with him. But the blast from the fuel cell only had a brief effect. The Precarians barely took a moment to recover and before we'd even left the ship, they surged forward. ''Don't stop running!'' yelled the Doctor. A laser blast fizzed past us and directly hit the creature in front. All the Prokarian's attention turned towards the Explorer, where Celeste let off two more blasts as the Doctor and I slipped through. I looked back as the creatures advanced on Celeste and Kirkman. The two that had been crushed beneath the ramp oozed out and reformed. Celeste blasted away as they kept coming. Kirkman was banging on the side of the fuel cell. It briefly sparked with energy, but then expired. They would soon be overwhelmed. I crashed through the door of the TARDIS. The familiar hum and glow felt like sanctuary, but it also seemed empty without Amy. The doctor bounded around the console, setting the controls. Now, there's the possibility that one or both of us is infected, he said. We can't risk popping up before the Nadernian Precarians first met. We're going to have to do this in stages. He paused. This could take some time, Rory. Weeks. Months. Years. That's why I wanted you to stay with her. Whatever it takes, I said. I I can help her best by watching your back. Besides, you're useless without us. A hint of sadness flickered across the Doctor's face. It was a bad joke, but maybe he believed it. He yanked the dematerialization lever and the TARDIS engines shuddered into life. Incredibly, within seconds, the central column fell to a standstill. We had arrived. The first thing I felt was the heat. Not of the red sun, but from the blazing fires that raged all around. Every building was burning and smoke billowed into the sky. We were in the same central square where the Federation explorers stood far in the future. Dominating one side was a massive building. Its spires disappearing into the drifting smoke. A sign by the stepped entrance caught my attention. The High Directorate of Science. Hot debris fell through the smoke from high above, pummeling the square and spreading more fire. Nadirni were fleeing the flames but unable to find safety. A deafening explosion overhead made everyone scurry for what little shelter they could find. A disintegrating spaceship plunged down from somewhere over the skyline, quickly followed by a fireball rising up and adding to the mayhem. Other spacecraft were in the air, taking off from the planet, trying to escape. Then I saw something truly alien, streaking down through the atmosphere to intercept them spherical masses of organic matter gray and seething homing in on the craft and enveloping them spreading across their hulls some of the ship's engines extinguished and they fell like stones others were crushed exploding as their fuel cores ruptured it was the end of a world okay said the doctor 2,000 years in the past but we may be cutting things a bit fine I gawped at the understatement. The planet's under attack. We have to go. Just need some info, he said, and darted over to a small group of Naderning cowering beside a shattered wall. They were huddled around one individual who studied a computer tablet. He had a gnarled ear, a misaligned jaw, and there was a fresh burn down his left cheek. There there are too many satellites down. Ah, I, I can't locate a transport, he said. Next to him, a hairless Nadirni girl spotted us and shook his arm. Timo, look! The group stared at us blankly. The sight of two gangly aliens running up to them obviously couldn't make their day any more shocking. Uh, hello. Might seem irrelevant, said the Doctor, trying to undercut the awkwardness. Uh, but the Procarians, um, where are they invading from? Timo laughed like someone beyond hope they're not invading they're coming home home said the doctor they're the plague of Mordax said the girl looking at him as if he was stupid Mordax what's Mordax the doctor approached her Vima get back said Timo, and pulled the girl away leave her alone we've no time for ignorant alien slaves is your master dead Or did he give you your last minutes of freedom? You're protecting Vima, I said, stepping forward. I'm trying to protect someone, too. Please, her life depends on it. What is Mordax? Mordax, the fool, said Vima. The fool who created them, added Timo with scorn. Created, said the Doctor. For what? For the glory of the Empire said Vima in a daze as if she was repeating a mantra. Another spacecraft exploded above us, sending twisted wreckage raining down. A large chunk of melting hull smashed into the TARDIS and sent it spinning across the square, almost overturning it. Doctor, we've got to go, I urged him again. He grabbed Timo's arm. When were they created? Get get away, dirty slave, said Timo, with a shove at the doctor's chest. Vima gasped and pointed into the sky. Timo, It's too late! Through the clearing smoke, I saw what looked like a large moon directly above us. It hadn't been there before, and I realized that it was getting bigger, or more accurately, getting closer. It was massive, hundreds, maybe thousands of miles across, but its surface was clearly bubbling, just like the flesh of a precarian. Timo's voice croaked with fear. It's a death cluster. The Prokarian's final assault. It'll envelop the planet. Timo's computer beeped, and he stared at the screen in disbelief. There's a ship leaving in two minutes. Come on! A booming sound above made me look towards the crumbling towers of the High Directorate. A chunk of masonry was tumbling down towards us. I yanked the Doctor away as it crashed between us and the Naderni, who scattered in blind panic. Wait, called the Doctor, I can help! But it was too late, they'd flown. Day vanished into night as the Death Cluster blotted out the sun. Smaller clusters were detaching from it, homing in and taking down the remaining escape craft. More debris was cascading into the square and piling up around the TARDIS. Doctor, let's move! I marched him back to the TARDIS, and we pushed through the doors as the remainder of the directorate collapsed into the square. The Doctor threw the dematerialization lever, and the echoes of horror and destruction outside faded into the vortex. I never want to see anything like that again, I said. Ever. ''I know,'' the doctor replied. ''I only wish I could promise that you won't.'' I hardly spoke to him for the next two days. The images of doomed Nadernis and all those helpless souls were branded into my brain. Only thoughts of Amy and of saving her life kept me sound. Eventually, the doctor declared that he'd been working on a plan... We would travel further back into Nadernus's past and secretly monitor telecommunications for mentions of Mordax the Fool. It took us another week to find him, 300 years before the planet's apocalypse. Then the doctor announced that he wanted to meet him on a specific date in Noderni history. He said that it was a day of births and deaths and apparently no other would do. This was our one and only chance. The TARDIS again landed in the central square. The red-tinged sun was high in the clear, rosy sky, warming the city. And what a city it was. Spires of silver and glass rose up all around. Small transport craft flew between them like flocks of birds. For the first time, I saw that the architecture of every building was masterfully intricate and handcrafted. The High Directorate of Science... All turrets and towers, dominated like a high-tech cathedral. Impressive, isn't it? Said the doctor. The pinnacle of the Naderni Empire, a capital of pride built on military domination. Easy to fall flat on your face from here. Um. Now, what do we do? I asked. We're illegal aliens at the centre of an arrogant, warlike science empire. Said the doctor, raising his hands. We wait to get arrested." By now, dozens of Naderni around the square had noticed us. They looked different to all the ones we'd met before. They were taller, healthier, with no signs of any deformities caused by genetic engineering. They were also angry. Something buzzed behind me. A sound I'd first heard in the Amazon rainforest. Two of the Naderni's drones flew into view. Spheroid robots. Each gauging us with the six multicolored lenses that made up their single eye. Uh, we come in peace? I said, trying to be helpful. The crowd were on the verge of lynching us. No, we don't, cried the doctor. We're highly dangerous and very unusual aliens, the like of which no Naderni here will ever see again. What are you going to do about it? The two eyes conferred, making an electronic chatter. As the doctor was about to speak, their lenses flared with a blinding green light. And I blacked out. When I came round, I expected to find myself behind bars in some bleak dungeon. Instead, I was lying on a fluffy, white sofa. The room was comfortable. A calming shade of blue with a single door containing a small porthole. There was a second sofa, a pile rug and in one corner what looked like a box of toys and games. The doctor, of course, was rifling through the box. ''They never have Scrabble,'' he muttered. I got up, and a pounding dizziness swamped me. ''Did we get shot, or go to a really great party?'' ''There's definitely an ex-party feeling going on in my head.'' ''It'll pass,'' said the doctor, "'giving up with the toy box and moving over to the door. "'The eyes only stunned us. "'Brought us here.' Uh, "'Where's here?' I asked. "'The High Directorate.' Um, "'This doesn't look like a cell. "'Aren't we prisoners?' "'More like lab rats,' said the doctor. "'I joined him and peeked through the porthole. "'Beyond was a long laboratory, all gleaming white. "'The far wall was glass.' giving a panoramic view over the capital. A single Naderni worked at a central control desk while a pair of robot eyes buzzed around him. There was a row of floor-to-ceiling glass tubes stretching the length of the lab, each containing something suspended in murky fluid. Creepy things that moved and were clearly alive. "'What's going to happen to us?' I said. The doctor sonic the door open. "'Let's ask.' The Naderni moved to study a piece of equipment, a steel pedestal, generating an energy field in the form of a constantly shifting geometric cage. He inserted what resembled a nightmarishly large hypodermic into a slot. The doctor boldly stepped into full view, checking out the lab. I cautiously followed and spotted the TARDIS at one end being scanned by another eye. Very impressive, called the doctor. Two eyes immediately swooped upon us, their lenses glowing with a searing white light. The Naderni swung around. Halt! he ordered, and the eyes withdrew. This Naderni was old, but very tall and slim. His features were sharp, and a mane of unkempt wiry fur automatically made me think mad scientist. (laughs) Interesting! He said. Few specimens ever escape, but certainly none has ever come to greet me. I'm no ordinary specimen. I'm the doctor. This is Rory. I gave the scientist a half-hearted, friendly wave. I I do that when I'm nervous. And you are? Asked the doctor. Then Adirne considered us for a moment before answering. Science dictator Mordax. (laughs) The doctor smiled. "'Excellent! A bit of a science buff myself. "'That experiment looks fascinating.' "'He began to stride over to the pedestal. "'Is is that some kind of incubator?' "'The eyes glided over to bar the doctor's way. (laughs) "'Close enough, doctor,' said Mordax. "'You're obviously from a semi-advanced species. "'Your friend, less so. (laughs) "'Is he your pet?' "'Oh, that's unfair.' said the Doctor. Humans are endlessly intriguing. I could talk about them all day. Love having them around, don't I, Rory? And, annoyingly, he ruffled my hair. But I'm not his pet, I added. Mordax ignored us and pointed at the TARDIS. What is that? The Doctor threw his best ignorant look and pretended to delve into his pocket. That? Nothing. Just luggage. You can never pack enough spare underpants, although I seem to have lost the key, which given the situation, could get a bit messy. The the idea of two different species travelling together is quaint, said Mordax. But neither of you will need your luggage. The doctor craned his neck to try to get a better look into the energy cage generated by the incubator. What exactly have you got in that souped-up Petri dish? Mordax spoke as if to an over-inquisitive child. "'That is what will cement the Nadirni Empire's legacy. "'We will never be defeated, Doctor, thanks to you.' The Doctor looks shocked. Uh, "'What do you mean? Me?' "'I scanned you both when you arrived. "'You have a unique biology, Doctor. "'Cellular regeneration is a very useful ability.' Mordax unplugged the hypodermic and presented it. The doctor's face blanched. I'd never seen him react like that before. Mordax sneered. This is... A DNA extractor, finished the doctor through gritted teeth. You're a genetic pickpocket, Mordax. Mordax looked offended. I am Naderni. The universe is ours to exploit anything from mineral-rich star systems to your DNA, a final contribution to my ultimate project. Would that project be codenamed Precarion? demanded the Doctor. (laughs) How could you know that? Mordax was genuinely surprised and clapped his hands in delight. (laughs) Now I'm impressed. I do look forward to working on you. You're hiding many secrets behind that foolish face. He turned to the eyes. Take the doctor to cryo-freezing. Dispose of the other. Uh, um, <clears throat> what? I stuttered. Mordax had just casually ordered my death. Mordax, wait. Listen to me. The doctor took a step closer. but blue stasis beams that projected from the eyes ensnared us both. Mordax turned his back and we were dragged from the lab. As the doors slid shut behind us, I saw a sign Science Dictator Mordax, Head of Biological Weapons. The eyes zoomed through the complex, speeding us to our fates. Rory, I'm sorry, said the doctor. This is the day the Precarians are born. Mordax has used my DNA to create a regenerative bacteria. That's why Zanila's team didn't detect them. They were dead, but not really dead. Amy was almost right about ghost bacteria. You caused this, I said. The war. That mess in the Amazon. Amy, it's all your fault. You were the one begging me to rewrite time. Neither of us could have known I was part of history all along. I hope you've got a plan, Doctor, I urged. I have just been sentenced to death. And suddenly the eyes parted and swooped in opposite directions. I shouted out for the doctor, but he was gone. I was on my own, hurtling down further and further into the bowels of the complex. The eye plunged into a dark chamber ablaze with unbearable heat. A hexagonal opening ahead led to a furnace of white-hot fire. Propelled forward... I turned my face away from the scorching inferno and the prospect of instant incineration. Then pain hit me. Rather than the pain of being burned, it was the pain of thumping into hard metal. I was on the floor, bruised but alive. Come along, Centurion Pond, I heard the doctor say. He was there in front of me, pointing the whirring sonic screwdriver over his shoulder at the spinning robot eye. "Uh, uh, How? I managed to utter. Those drones can only do one thing at a time, like keep me in stasis or operate a cryo-freezer. I just had to pick my moment. The teleport functions as ropey as ever. I'd never been happier to see him. Doctor, let's kill that bacteria and get out of here. Can't do that. The Precarians are bioweapons who turn on their masters. They must destroy Nadurnis to A... Keep history on track. B. Save the universe. Or C. Avoid nasty time paradoxes. Delete is appropriate. He pulled me to my feet. But there's always another way. The doctor put an arm around my shoulder and adjusted the sonic. The eye stopped spinning and its lenses flared brilliant red. Within seconds, we were once again standing in the laboratory. At least, the doctor was standing... I was doubled over while my stomach tried to go elsewhere. We had been sucked through one eye's teleport beam and spat out of another's. The robot vibrated in the air until a quick flick of the sonic screwdriver sent it spinning on its axis. Mordax was engrossed with the incubator. It now contained a mass of prokaryan flesh, which kept expanding and contracting. Every time it touched the edge of the energy cage, A jolt of electricity made it shrink back, scalded and blistered. Within seconds it regrew, only to be electrocuted again. Over and over the cycle repeated, increasing in speed. "'It's out of control!' said the Doctor. Mordax glanced at us. "'How did you escape?' "'Because I am more than semi-advanced.' "'But enough about me,' the Doctor pointed at the pulsating blob. "'They're evolving.' With every regeneration, they get stronger. That cage won't hold them forever. The bacteria are adjusting. That's all. The Doctor shook his head. I can't change your planet's destiny, Mordax. But there's someone in danger who we care about. I need that DNA extracted to save her. Mordax stared hard at the Doctor. Then he reached inside his tunic. The Doctor smiled with sympathy, but froze when Mordax drew out a sleek laser pistol and aimed it at him. What is going to happen to Nadernis? said Mordax coldly. What do you know? It's complicated and we don't have time to explain. You're an enemy spy. You want to bring down the Empire, contaminate our worlds with your alien spawn. You've brought down the Empire, Mordax said the Doctor. The seething blob expanded to fill the energy cage, but this time it didn't recede. The cage crackled as the Precarian regenerated as fast as it died. It was sustaining itself. As Mordax watched in horror, his weapon aim wavered. I took my chance and leapt at him, smacking the alien under the chin with my right fist. Mordax dropped to the floor and the pistol flew across the room. I shook the pain out of my hand and shot the Doctor an apologetic look. Honestly, I'm not trying to make a habit of punching Hitler's. The doctor searched the unconscious Naderni and found the DNA extractor. He sonicked it and then inserted it into the incubator. First, I need to lock away my Time Lord genes within the Prokaryan DNA. Can't remove them, but I can hide them so they remain undetected. Don't want the Naderni using them again. How will that help Amy? I asked. It won't," said the doctor removing the device. But this will. In a blink, the doctor swung his arm and stabbed me in the neck with the extractor. He reinserted it into the incubator before I'd let out my pained protest. Don't stab me with weird alien gadgets without asking. Sorry, no time, he replied. The energy cage sparked under pressure from the swelling prokaryan mass. I stepped back. Doctor, that stuff's going to break out. Almost done, he said. Suddenly, the room was ablaze with flashing lights and alarm sirens blasted from above. That wasn't me, said the doctor, removing the extractor. We turned towards the TARDIS, only to be confronted by a bruised Mordax. No, it was me, he said, and his six hate-filled eyes bore into my own. I shall take pleasure in making a time consuming study of your entrails, human. Now give me that extractor, doctor. The doctor deliberately shoved it into his pocket. I can't let you change your future, Mordax. Then you'll die. Two robot eyes entered and sped towards us, their lenses flaring white. The doctor pointed the sonic at the spinning eye we'd teleported through. It snapped to attention caught one of the aggressive drones in the stasis beam and swung it around to smash into the other. Mordak scrambled to reach the pistol and let loose a volley of laser blasts that flew all around us. The Doctor heaved me inside the TARDIS as a stray shot glanced off the incubator. It sparked and shorted, instantly severing the power to the energy cage. Released from the pressurised containment, the amorphous mass exploded into the room, engulfing Mordax just as the Doctor kicked the TARDIS door shut behind us. On the console monitor, I saw Mordax writhing on the floor of the lab, coughing and choking on the precarium bacteria. The Doctor set the TARDIS in motion, and the image dissolved. Mordax was patient zero, I said. Hence, the plague of Mordax said the doctor. The title, Fool, was fitting. I rubbed my neck. It was still sore from where the doctor had used the extractor on me. What did you do to me in there? Sorry, I needed human DNA to create a biological time bomb, the doctor explained. It's hidden away within the prokaryan genome. In the future, when the prokaryans infect their first human... Uh, Amy, I asked. He nodded. There'll be a biological reaction producing a pathogen that will disable their regenerative ability and poison them. I felt a rush of relief. Amy was saved, but I noticed the doctor remained subdued. Is there a catch? Genetic manipulation is a fine art, Rory. I was a bit rushed. This is Amy's only chance, but I'd be lying if I said it will definitely work. He casually circled the console, flicked a few switches, and the central column came to a stop. We're back, barely a minute after we left the Explorer. I hesitated, not wanting to know what was out there. Amy was either alive, or... And in my heart, at the centre of my very being, I did need to know. I sprinted down the stairs and flung the doors open. We were in the Explorer's main bay. Zanila was slumped on the floor. The infection had taken hold of her too. I could hear laser blasts coming from the airlock. That, That would be Celeste, still holding off the Precarians. Amy lay on the bench where I'd left her. I rushed to her side and felt her skin. She was cold and her face dry, but she was still breathing. Come on, Amy, hold on, I urged. I sensed the doctor beside me. He looked somber as he scanned Amy with the sonic. Is it working? I asked. Give it time, he said. A closer blast echoed from the airlock. Celeste flew into the room and hit the door control. The shambling forms of the Precarians came into view as the doors slid shut. Kirkman's gone, she said. They didn't infect him. They smothered him. The fuel cell, said the doctor. Maybe they sensed he was too much of a threat. The seals around the doors already seeped with bubbling prokaryan flesh. Once they had enough grip, they would rend them apart. Celeste altered the settings on the blaster and fired, but the weapon whined and fell silent. It's dead. She tossed it aside. Now what? The doctor swept the limp Amy into his arms and carried her closer to the door. What are you doing? I demanded. They won't harm her, Rory, but we need her close to the Precarians when the pathogen emerges. It should have happened by now, I said. While Amy's still breathing, there's hope, he said, carefully laying her down. The door mechanism screeched as the Precarians slowly pushed them apart and flowed through. Get back, shouted the doctor, but it was too late. A precarian curled its arms around Celeste and vomited a spray of mucus in her face. It dropped her to the floor, leaving her choking for breath. The Doctor skipped backwards away from Amy. Get ready to dive into the TARDIS, he said. I glanced to check the distance. The TARDIS was behind us, about ten paces away, but the sight made my heart sink further. I don't think we'll be getting in there, Doctor. The TARDIS was wrapped in a thin film of swirling matter. Bacteria from Mordax's incubator, said the Doctor. Some of it must have stuck to the outside of the TARDIS and continued to evolve. Amy's our only chance now. The Procarians moved into the room, examining their new victims. One approached Amy. That's it, encouraged the Doctor. See what she's made of. The Procarian leaned over. Its head millimeters from Amy's own. It seemed almost a sniff as she breathed into its blank face. Yes! cried the Doctor triumphantly. We both waited. Nothing happened. The Doctor's face fell. A massive lump formed in my throat. We'd lost. The Precarians focused their attention on us. Stepping closer, they hissed in gleeful anticipation as we backed into a corner. The doctor turned on the spot, banging his hands against his forehead. It should have worked. It should have worked, he said. Then he froze and stared straight at me. Of course. How could I be so stupid? He reached into his pocket and pulled out the DNA extractor. It's you, Rory. I used your DNA. The pathogen has to come from you. The precarians hesitated for a second. My mind was racing to keep up with what the doctor was saying, but the creature sensed danger. You have to be infected. The doctor held up the extractor. Just need to get a new sample. The doctor lunged at the nearest precarion, but it sidestepped him and lashed out, catching his arm. Its flesh oozed around his hand and wrestled the extractor from his grasp, crushing it into crumpled junk. The Precarians swarmed forward. Two more attacked the Doctor from behind, and they began to squeeze together, enveloping him. The remaining three came for me. With his free hand, the Doctor grabbed the sonic and zapped one of the workstations. It exploded in a volcano of blinding sparks that spat over the Precarians, making them flinch. Go, Rory, go, yelled the Doctor. I dived beneath the fiery shower bursting from the wall, using it to cover my escape route and skidded over to Amy. She was bloodlessly pale. I couldn't tell if she was breathing or not. The Procarians regained their senses and realized where I was. They lurched towards me with renewed, deadly intent. The Doctor struggled as the other Procarians converged on him, slowly compressing together as if becoming one creature. Get out, the Doctor uttered, in the dust. ...and then the Precarian flesh slid over his face to silence him. In the dust. The dust. Timo said the Death Cluster would envelop the entire planet. I'd accidentally blown dust into Amy's face. Is that where the Precarians had been all along? Sleeping in the dust? I needed to get to the surface. And with one last look at Amy, I sprinted for the airlock with the contorted abominations in pursuit. Kirkman's crushed body was sprawled on the ramp, still clutching the fuel cell, now twisted and useless. The Procarians appeared behind me, snarling with whispered fury. I stumbled towards the planet's surface, but something ahead stirred in the dark. Another Procarian swayed onto the ramp, blocking my path. I was trapped. They regarded me cautiously, then began to advance, preparing for the kill. If they caught me, it would be over. I'd suffer the same fate as Kirkman, and it wouldn't be quick, and Amy would die. Hoping I wouldn't break my neck, I dived sideways off the ramp, but the Precarian grabbed my foot, and I stopped short of the surface, hitting metal instead. The creature's flesh oozed over mine as the others hurried to join it, whispering with hate-filled delight. I needed to breathe in the dust, but my face was still inches from the ground and the precarium was tugging me backwards. I had seconds left. Stretching out my arms as far as they would go, I cupped my hands and dug them into the planet's barren soil. With my final effort, I dragged a heap back, creating a mound below me. Then I thrust my head forward, buried my face in the dust of Nadernis and inhaled as hard and deep as I could. My lungs erupted with scorching pain. I tried to hold it in, but my reflex took hold and I retched uncontrollably. My eyes flooded with tears because of the grit as I convulsed and choked, desperate for air. Twisting onto my side, I felt I would never stop gagging. Through wet eyes, I saw the precarians around me, waiting to swoop. Then I realised they weren't waiting. They were shaking, unable to retreat. The one that had grabbed my leg had fallen back and was quivering beside me. Their evil hisses turned to painful rasps as their flesh began to boil and they started to wither. They were falling apart, atomizing and tumbling back into the dust from where they'd been hiding. The Doctor had done it. But he and Amy were still in danger. I forced myself to my feet and staggered back into the Explorer, coughing as hard as I could. Barely able to see, I returned to the bay. The three Procarians were still pressed around the Doctor who no longer struggled. When they parted, his body fell limply to the floor. No, nobody else is dying today. I rushed towards them, breathing deep, in and out. Nobody except you. One of the creatures stepped over the doctor, its limbs reaching out to envelop me. Its filthy stench tainted my throat, so I spat it out. The Bacarian reeled. Its hands clawed at its own body, which disintegrated, breaking apart as if made from dust itself. The others retreated, but it was already too late for them, as they too shriveled and collapsed. The Doctor looked dead. His face was grey, and I couldn't see him breathing. Yet nor was there any sign of impending regeneration. Meanwhile, Amy was still breathing, albeit barely. I scrambled over and held her. She felt frozen. My warm breath flowed over her face as I bent forward and kissed her. Amy, can you hear me? Elsewhere, Celeste rolled over, spluttering. And looked at me in disbelief. Danila also began to stir. The pathogen was working, but Amy had been infected for longer than the others. I shut my eyes tight and begged every power in the universe to return her to me. Please, I whispered, bring her back. I felt a slap on my shoulder. A slap I'd know anywhere, and heard a faint Scottish twang. What's with that stupid face? I opened my eyes, gazed down into hers, and let out a sob of joy. Oh, and yeah, she said, you can kiss me again. And so I did. I knew you'd make it, I said. She smiled, but then concern crossed her face. The doctor? I wasn't sure how to tell her. Uh, The doctor didn't. Didn't know how lucky I was to have you with me came a chirpy voice from the other side of the bay. The Doctor was lying on his front, propping himself up with his arms. I'm very good at holding my breath, he explained. Well done, Rory. You saved us all. Celeste contacted Paradise One in orbit, which insisted on a further 48-hour quarantine before they'd send a rescue party. We could have left straight away, the film of Gunk covering the TARDIS having died along with the Procarians, but the Doctor wanted to help out and Amy needed time to recover. And neither I nor the doctor were willing to admit how close we'd come to losing her. Now that the pathogen was in the atmosphere, the doctor explained, it would eat sleeping prokaryan bacteria for breakfast and bestow anyone else with a natural defence against the creatures. Even so, for safe measure, I let Professor Zanila take blood and saliva samples from me, the doctor said that, to a precarian I was like a poison arrow frog from the Amazon. Small, insignificant, but highly toxic. I tried to take that as a compliment. Not unexpectedly, the doctor decided we should disappear before the rescue ship arrived and avoid any awkward questions. So, with the dropship on its way and Amy feeling well enough, we said our goodbyes. I guess I should thank you, said Celeste with some resignation. Even though my career's over, the title Jinx will stick now. Why did Kirkman call you that? I asked. Uh, My last mission was for the diplomatic service. It ended badly. Deaths were involved. The Paradise Program was supposed to be a safe demotion for me. Some luck, eh? "'Wrong places, wrong times,' said the Doctor. "'But none of us would have made it without you, Celeste.' "'Zanilla seemed troubled. "'We found her loitering outside the TARDIS, "'touching the panelling deep in thought. "'She'd been quietly keeping close to the Doctor, "'as if wanting to ask him a question. "'Professor, are you all right?' asked the Doctor as we approached. "'Zanilla's six eyes blinked rapidly. "'I'm not sure,' she said. Who are you, Doctor? Oh, nobody special, just sort of, uh, uncool bowtie-wearing trouble magnet, offered Amy. Oh, yes, she was back. Zanila stroked the TARDIS again. Uh, The myths of how we survived the war say a select few were uh, transported to our adopted planet as if by magic. I don't believe in magic, the doctor confided. Well, neither do I, she said. Only some of the old stories mention a blue box. It's even there in the earliest record, uh, by Timo the Great himself. Did you say Timo? I asked, and exchanged a glance with the doctor. You know myths, Professor, he said. A strange mixture of fact and mostly fiction. He gave Amy and me the nod to get into the TARDIS quick. Good luck with your recolonization. Just don't go down the Empire route again. It's a double-edged sword. Pride before a fall. Before Zanila could ask another question, the Doctor dashed into the TARDIS and raced to the console. Why the sudden hurry? said Amy, as the TARDIS engines groaned into life. Need to make an emergency detour. Rory, get ready to bring them inside. We'll only have a few seconds. I bounded over to the doors as the Doctor hustled the TARDIS controls. "'Now!' he shouted, and I stepped back out into the burning hell of Nadernus's last moments. The horizon was aflame, and the Pukarian Death Cluster filled the entire sky. It was going to smash into the capital and spread across the entire planet, infecting it for centuries to come. In front of me, cowering in a group, were Timo and his friends.' There was fear and horror in each rodent face. The, the last ship's been destroyed, was all Timo could say. I reached out my hand and opened the TARDIS doors wide so they could see inside. Come with me, I said. Another explosion rocked a burning building across the street. Masonry began to fall. Timo took my hand and I hauled him into the TARDIS. As if connected to him by an invisible rope, his stunned friends blindly followed. With the last Naderni on board, I slammed the doors and the Doctor heaved the dematerialization lever. There were eight of them, each as terrified of the TARDIS as of the destruction they'd just escaped. You're safe, I reassured them. Who are you? said Timo eventually. Best not to ask, said the Doctor. Nadernis was destroyed by a nasty life form, one which your ancestors created. A lifeform that will always want to kill you. The thing is, I know this cute little planet on the other side of the galaxy, far away from the Precarians. It's not exactly five-star luxury. In fact, it's got a dwarf star, so it's a bit chilly, but pretty and very safe. You could visit for an extended holiday, if you like. the Nadurni stared open-mouthed, suddenly realising they were being given a second chance. "Uh, Yes, said Timo, blinking away tears of happiness. We would like that very much. Amy sidled up to me. What's this about? she whispered. It's one of those timey-wimey things the Doctor goes on about, I said, not quite sure where to start. I have to tell you, said the Doctor to Timo, that you'll never see Nadernis again. It's lost. But... One day, in the distant future, your people will return and make it home. The Doctor fiddled idly with the console for a second. Of course, we could all visit the Lost Caves of Mook first. No! Amy and I cried in unison. You're right, he said, backing down, one thing at a time. And so he set the TARDIS on course for the Naderni's new home. Doctor Who, Sleepers in the Dust by Darren Jones was read by Arthur Darville.